0: It's great to be with you and to be here and take part in our Sunday night study. Before we do get started, we have some things on our prayer list that I'd like to pray for before we look into our study for this evening. I want to continue to pray for Jesse and Ginger and that God would heal Jesse and God would, you know, strengthen Ginger. To pray for our children's ministry, uh, opening up here real soon, and for Mayo Call, our ministry to the, our veterans. Uh, To Brother Ken, our friend from North Carolina, I'm sorry, uh, to pray for uh, Rick's friend. Rick's our friend from North Carolina, and he asked for prayer for Ken, uh, who had a heart attack, and to pray for his wife also, who's naturally, you know, concerned. To pray for Easter, coming up real quick, and our Good Friday service, to pray, and that that sound will go away, so... All right, let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you that we can come before your throne and that we can seek uh, the needs of our friends, Lord, and our church family, Lord. We lift up Jesse and Ginger to you, Lord. Father, we ask that you would heal Jesse and that you would just bring him up out of that bed, Lord. And just like we've seen so many times in the Gospels, Lord, how Jesus touched those that were were sick and, and they rose immediately. And, um, their way, God. We do pray for uh, Jesse that you would uh, again raise him from his bed. Lord, we pray for Ginger, the Lord, you would continually strengthen her and give her the hope and the endurance, God, to persevere, God, just to hang in there, Lord, and set a hedge about them, Lord. Father, we pray for our children's ministry opening up here soon, that you'd bless the teachers, the Father, you would bless the children, yet, Father, you would keep them safe. Uh, and, and, and protect their health, Lord, during this time as well. And we pray from the mail call ministry, God, uh, that, um, that you would just, that people would get involved and, and bless our troops all around the world, God. We pray for Ken, for Rick's friend, Lord, who had a heart attack. We pray for him, Lord, for a healing and that he doesn't suffer any more um, than he already has and for his wife to give her peace, Lord. We pray for our Easter service, that it would be a blessing. Uh, and, Lord, give us direction. God, whether we stay inside or we go outside, Lord, so that uh, we can maximize the capacity, Father, of the church. And so, uh, lead us and guide us, Lord. We do pray uh, for good weather, that we might be outside, so that more people can come, Lord. On our Good Friday service, our uh, our Seder uh, with Mike Cohen, Lord, we pray for that event. And uh, details will go out soon, Lord, and uh, we do lift that up to you. And also, Lord, for our study uh, Wednesday, Lord. I. Uh, you haven't shown me where to go Wednesday. Uh, now that we've finished Job, God, but I do know that Your Spirit will lead and guide. And Father, we just uh, we lift it all up to You, God. Where do You want us to go? So bless our time now, God, as we look into the Book of Proverbs. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen. All right, open up to Proverbs chapter one. Proverbs chapter one, and. Um, The study tonight is entitled, The Call of Wisdom. The Call of Wisdom. The purpose for these proverbs, which, I'm sorry, for these verses, 20 through 33, it, it could be a sermon on its own. And the purpose for these verses is to change the hearts and the minds of those who are listening. And it will, if we're listening with open hearts and open minds to hear God's voice speak. And in these verses, wisdom speaks in detail about the consequences of foolishness. But the message lacks specifics about the behaviors that stem from true wisdom. But in the introduction to these verses, Solomon advises, back in chapter, uh, here in chapter 1, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And then wisdom adds that foolish people, in verse 29, hated knowledge and didn't choose the fear of the Lord. And we know from other sources that the fear of the Lord encourages people to obey the law and to treat vulnerable people like widows and orphans with compassion. And this part of Proverbs praises wisdom. Wisdom here is given a human character. It's personified here. And it's personified as a beautiful woman and her call. And, her, and, and, her call. and it's compared with the seductiveness of an immoral woman. The picture of wisdom calling out loudly from the streets is a personification, that is a storybook way to make wisdom come alive, to give it a personality, as if it's a person that's speaking. Wisdom isn't a separate being. It's the mind of God made known to us in the Proverbs. By reading about Jesus' earthly ministry, we can see wisdom in action through Christ. And we can see what wisdom looks like. You know, when you choose wisdom, you'll see it in the way you act, the way you behave, the things that you do. And in order to understand how to become wise, we can listen to wisdom here calling out to us and instructing us in the book of Proverbs. So make sure you don't reject God's offer of wisdom to you. In verses 20 through 33 is wisdom's call to us. It's calling out to us in these verses. In verses 20 through 23... Wisdom is offered to men. That is the human race. So let's begin now with verses 20 and 21 of Proverbs chapter 1. And it begins, Wisdom calls aloud outside. She raises her voice in the open squares. And again, when it says she, it's referring to wisdom. She, that is wisdom, raises her voice in the open squares. She cries out in the chief concourses at the openings of the gates in the city. She speaks her words. All right, this is where wisdom calls. It says outside, in the open. In other words, there's nothing hidden or deceiving about wisdom. It's open, it's honest, and it's available to everybody that's interested in wisdom. And it's easy to see, it's easy to hear for those who want to see wisdom and hear wisdom. Now, there are secret societies you know, lodges and mysterious religions with, with their mystery knowledge that, you know, can only be learned by the so-called initiated or the enlightened ones. And the ones who are, you know, these are the ones who are in the know. But only those who climb higher and higher in the chain of command in these mystery religions or whatever, you know, like cultic thing it might be. They're the ones that come to this ultimate mystery knowledge. And, they, you know, it's like, you know, it's like saying, oh, well, you know, I've been enlightened and, and I know the mysteries and, and, you know, I can teach them to you. And then they come to find out when they uncovered the secret, they found uh, that it was one of the deep things of Satan, not of God. Wisdom won't have anything to do with secret cults that do their, their, their work in the darkness. Wisdom offers its treasures in broad daylight, outside in the open, as the verses say here. Wisdom offers its treasures in broad daylight. It calls out to everybody publicly. Illustrating where the call can be heard, verses 20 and 21, describes wisdom's places. Now, where does wisdom tell everybody where she can be found? Well, it says here she, she opens her voice in the chief concourses. Concourses means the top of the walls. It says here in the open squares, at the city gates. Notice, they're all public places. Wisdom here is crying out and, is, and wisdom is saying, I'm everywhere. I'm everywhere that you can see and hear me. Here, wisdom is presented as one crying out in public places. And she's passionately trying to get people's attention that are passing by. She says, hey, here I am. I'm in the marketplace where people buy and sell. I'm at the city gates in the centers of population. I'm among the homeless on the streets. She's calling from everywhere. She's begging the simple ones to obey her voice, to hear what she has to say. She's always trying to get young men to turn away from their foolishness and their ignorance. And turn to knowledge and blessing. But she's not always received positively. But what's worse is when she's totally ignored. When wisdom is totally ignored. And even though we don't see a lot of wisdom in our world today, man's wisdom can be found wherever men are found. God's wisdom can be found wherever his word is found. Now the openings of the city here, the city gates, they were busy places in in Bible times. And all the business of a city passed through these gates, these city gates. And the markets, the public markets were conveniently located at these city gates. The city government held its meetings at the city gates. And by mentioning the gates, Solomon was telling us to look for wisdom where people are. And he was urging us to look and to listen. Wisdom can be found everywhere. But we can make the search a lot easier by remembering this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Psalm 111, 10. And we can find true wisdom when we acknowledge God. Because God is the source of true wisdom. And he's the God of the Bible. Wisdom is so close by. And so easy for everyone to get whoever wants to find it. Verses 22 and 23. How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? For scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Turn it my rebuke. Surely I will pour out my spirit on you, and I will make my words known to you. Here in verses 22 and 23 is what wisdom is pleading. This is what wisdom pleads to us. Wisdom is pleading for the thoughtless multitude to stop, to look, and to listen. Listen. And verse 22 gives us a specific example of her pleading. Notice again in verse 22. How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? For scorners delight in their scorning and fools hate knowledge. Wisdom looks at the simple, the scornful, and the foolish in disbelief. Because these people don't want to be bothered with wisdom. All right? Give them money and they waste it. Give them a job, and they waste their opportunities. Offer them education, and they won't study. And then, as a result of this foolishness of not choosing wisdom, guess what? They find themselves out of work, they find themselves poor, and they find themselves in need. Nothing could be farther from their minds than wisdom. Nothing could be further in their, uh, from their minds than wisdom. In the book of Proverbs, the word simple ones here, or fools, this does not mean they're stupid. This does not mean that they're, they're mentally deficient. But they have character flaws, like rebellion, laziness, or anger. The fool that's, that's mentioned here it isn't stupid. But he or she is unable to tell right from wrong or good from bad. And wisdom here points to scorners the simple and the foolish to a spiritual experience. Notice verse 23. Turn at my rebuke. Surely I will pour out my spirit on you and I will make my words known to you. You know, in in other words, come and listen to my counsel, wisdom says, and I'll share my heart with you and I'll make you wise. Now, wisdom is one of the New Testament names for the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 1, 17, the Holy Spirit is called the spirit of wisdom. You see, true wisdom has a spiritual quality to it. True wisdom will turn away from the wisdom of this world, which knows little or nothing about God. And the wisdom of this world is often sensual. It's often devilish, as James says in chapter 3, verse 15. But the fear of the Lord is the beginning of true wisdom, Proverbs 9, 10. When we're dealing with man's wisdom and man's philosophies, we can ignore them because true wisdom doesn't keep company with ungodly thinking. We can't have both. We can't have wisdom and ungodly thinking at the same time. We have to choose between the wisdom of God's word and the foolishness of man's thinking. In verses 24 through 33, wisdom is offended by men. In verses 24 and 25, it's refused. Wisdom rebukes men because her call is ignored. Look at verse 24. Wisdom says, because I have called and you refused. Notice, I have stretched out my hand and no one regarded. As we know, life is short. And without the wisdom of God, we do not have the answers to life that that satisfy us. They don't satisfy the questions of life. Like, where did we come from? Why are we here? Where are we going? What's life all about? Is there life after death? Is there a God? Only the Bible has the wisdom that can answer these questions. Now, as we all know, there are plenty of foolish answers to these questions. That's all the world can give you, foolish answers to these kind of questions. And for the most part, they are all wrong. Wisdom stands, wisdom calls, and it's ignored. So now look at wisdom as she warns. Her call is despised as well. Look at verse 25. Wisdom says, Because you disdained all my counsel and would have none of my rebuke. Wisdom's call is despised by people. When wisdom came to Cain, after God rejected his offering, Cain went away angry. And then God tried to reason with Cain. You know, when God asked Cain, Cain, why are you so angry? And why are you looking so miserable? And he says to Cain, Cain, you'll be accepted if you you respond in the right way. But if you refuse to respond correctly, then watch out because sin is waiting to attack you and destroy you. Wisdom was urging Cain through the voice of God to confess that his religious ideas were no good. That they weren't acceptable to God. She was also, that his wisdom was also, urging him to imitate his brother Cain, his righteous example. Now a sin offering was close by. All Cain had to do was help himself to salvation, the salvation that God provided for him. But he despised the way of wisdom. And because Cain murdered his brother, he became a fugitive He became homeless, and he left the presence of God. Again, notice the cause and effect. God offered him a wise choice to make things right. Cain didn't want it. If he had accepted God's way, he would have been on the right path, and things would have been okay. But now look at him. He's a fugitive, he's homeless, and he left the presence of God. You see, you can't ignore wisdom without suffering the consequences. And even though the consequences of their foolishness may not come for a long time, sooner or later, they're going to experience the result of their foolishness. And then in verse 26 through 28, we see wisdom's reaction to this disdain for wisdom. Look at 26 through 28. Wisdom says, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your terror comes, when your terror comes like a storm and your destruction comes like a whirlwind when distress and anguish come upon you. Verse 28, then they will call on me. Notice, then they will call on me. Notice, when they're in distress, when the anguish comes upon them because they rejected the wisdom of God, and then they begin to suffer the consequences, notice verse 28 says, then they'll call on me. Isn't that the truth? But notice what he says, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. You know, we can't treat God like a genie that when, you know, we want to do what we want to do. And then when we get in trouble, we we rub the magic lamp and out pops God. But a lot of people treat God like that. Wisdom says, do you know what my first reaction is going to be when you deliberately reject me and you choose to do foolish? Notice verse 26. Notice what he says. I also will laugh at your calamity. God is going to laugh. You rejected my wisdom, you suffered the consequences, and now you want me to do something, and God's just going to laugh at them. The people who formed the Soviet Union hated God. Uh, Grigory Zinoviev, he was a Russian revolutionary and politician and a friend and partner of Lenin. Listen to what he said. We shall grapple with the Lord God in due season. We shall vanquish him from his highest heaven and wherever he seeks refuge, and we shall subdue him forever. Where is the, the USSR now? They don't exist. And God responded, Oh, really? You see, God's mocking answer is found in Psalm 2, verse 4. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh, that is, at man's puny plans. And God says, he says, the Lord shall hold them in derision. While you're, you know, boasting about how you don't need God and you'll you'll, 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 you know, put him in a box someday and that will be the end of God. God just laughs. He just laughs. And 75 years later, the mighty Soviet Union and all of its associates stood in front of the whole world and they were in total disarray economically, socially and racially. And I couldn't help but think of what I'm seeing in the United States of America. Same thing. Wisdom laughs at the terrible foolishness of people who accept the, this kind of thinking. When wisdom cries out, when wisdom, or, or I should say, while wisdom cries over the, the, I mean, the, the unimaginable misery and hardship and suffering of their victims. The result of despising wisdom is desolation, like a storm that brings misery. Look at the first part of verse 27. When your terror comes like a storm, when desolation comes, it comes suddenly and many times violently like a storm. Now, people can chase after foolishness for a long time, but in the end, foolishness proves to be what it is a storm, and then it gives you its reward. Think about how foolish Lot was. He went back to Sodom after the terrible warning in Genesis 14. Even after Abraham rescued Lot, Lot hadn't learned a thing. Did Lot repent? No. Did Lot try to be restored to God's people? No. He went back to Sodom and took his family with him. Worse than that, he, he accepted a promotion And he became one of Sodom's judges, vowing to defend Sodom's ungodly lifestyle. And then like a storm, misery came. And in one night of total destruction and horror, Lot lost his family and everything that he owned. And he ended up drunk and dishonored in the hills beyond the cursed and destroyed cities of the plain. Despising wisdom also results in destruction. Look at the second part of verse 27. And your destruction comes like a whirlwind. The word destruction means calamity. Zedekiah, he didn't care about God's word. He had no use for the word of God. He had no use for the prophet of God, Jeremiah, or his word. Zedekiah allowed the temple to be polluted with idolatry and injustice. Which was a common thing. This and other things that Zedekiah did eventually led the foolish and faithless Zedekiah to experience one calamity after another. Zedekiah was eventually tried and condemned, and here Zedekiah's sons were put in front of Zedekiah and they were killed in front of Zedekiah, and then they they, 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 they poked out Zedekiah's eyes. They blinded him. The last thing that Zedekiah saw was his sons being killed in front of him. And then Zedekiah was carried in chains to Babylon where he died in prison. All because he rejected the word of God, the wisdom of God. Another consequence of ignoring the call of wisdom is anguish or distress. Look at the third part of verse 27. When distress and anguish come upon you. Notice he's gonna laugh when these he's gonna laugh at their at their terror, he's gonna laugh at their destruction, he's gonna laugh when, when they suffered you know, distress and anguish. You know, I, I wonder what Lot must have thought when he finally came to his senses up on that mountain after God wiped out Sodom and Gomorrah. Because he could see where Sodom and Gomorrah Gomorrah once stood. Now it was an ash heap burned to the ground because of God's judgment. He could see his daughters whispering to each other. And he thought secretly about the memories of his shame, what he did. He thought of his other children who had perished in the fiery judgment of Sodom. He, He thought about his wife who was turned into a pillar of salt because of her disobedience. And anguish came upon him. You know, I wonder if Lot went to visit that, that terrible monument of disobedience that was once his wife, that pillar of salt. You know how a person will go to a, to a loved one's headstone and and begin to talk to that loved one? And I'm wondering if Lot went over there to, to see that his wife now a pillar of salt and just, you know... A, Just saying, I'm so sorry. You know, dear, forgive me for being so stupid. I should have stayed with Abraham. I should have listened. That was the wise thing to do. I wish to God I could turn back the hands of time and do things right. Then the end end result of ignoring wisdom is desperation. Look at verse 28. Then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. Think about that. When you reject the wisdom of God, and as a result, when that storm comes, and you realize you need God now, you realize you need God's help, and you start to call instinctively. I mean, it's usually the first p- thing people do when they're getting such a, such a place as this. I, I, I begin to pray and call out to God instinctively. But then they do, they call out, and guess what? There's no answer from God. Even though you seek her, that is wisdom, diligently, you don't find her. She's not answering. And then verse 29 and 30, wisdom tells you why. Look at verse 29 and 30. Here it is. Because, she says, I didn't answer your call because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would have none of my counsel and despised my every rebuke. There it is. Wisdom gives two reasons why the time comes when she will not answer, when she can't be found anymore. The first reason is that she's detested. She's hated, verse 29 says. Notice, because they hated knowledge. They hated knowledge. The hate and the choice are connected. When you hate the word of God or the wisdom of God, you are going to make the wrong choice. People detest. They hate wisdom because wisdom cannot be separated from the fear of God. And the fear of the Lord is the last thing that the unregenerate, the unsaved heart is interested in. You know, in other words, if it has anything to do with God, I don't want it. A lot of people don't want any part of any wisdom that's, that's, that points their mind and their heart to God. And how really sad it is to detest and to hate wisdom for no other reason than wisdom and God go together, they're inseparable. And then the second reason that wisdom doesn't answer is because she's despised. As verse 30 says, they would have none of my counsel and despised my every rebuke. Every time I rebuked them, every time I tried to get them on the right path, they despised me. They despise Wisdom's patience is great, but you know what? There is a cutoff point. God will speak and speak and speak and speak, but then when you reject God's voice. He'll cut you off. There's a cutoff point. When wisdom is despised one too many times, she leaves us to ourselves. Listen to what God said in Romans chapter 1, verse 22 through 26. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Notice, now look what happened. Therefore, as a result of what was just read, therefore God also gave them up. Notice, gave them up to what? Uncleanness. In the lust of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchange the truth of God for the lie, and worship and serve the creator rather the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up. Three times in chapter one, God says He gave up the people. He gave them up. You see, God doesn't reward disobedience, He gives them up. And he said, you know what? All right, this is the lifestyle you want to live. This is what you want to do. Have at it. I'll get out of your way. I'll step back. I won't say another word. The worst thing that could ever happen is when God says, do your own thing. Do your own thing. Because man's heart is wicked. And we will end up doing the, the most wicked thing. Samson was another one of these guys. Who despised counsel? The highest wisdom told Solomon, to, uh, you know, to, to tell us to let his hair grow long. Not cutting his hair was part of the of the Nazareth vow, and it was intended to set uh, uh, um, uh, Samson apart from from everybody else, even God's people. The special spiritual significance of the Nazarite vow had been drilled into Samson since he was a baby and his long hair made him immediately recognizable as a person that was totally consecrated to God. It was the, his long hair was the outward confession of his inward commitment to God. And when people saw Samson's hair, they knew the special dimension of consecration that Samson was in. That was his. They knew Samson was especially anointed with the power of the Holy Spirit. And there was a direct relationship between Samson's hair and his power. And he knew it. He knew it. It was the highest wisdom. It would have been the smartest thing, the wisest thing to protect his long hair with his life. But he despised all of the warnings. And he played the fool. He played fast and loose with his great gifts. And he acted like a little schoolboy. And he played practical jokes. He was stronger than Hercules. But he had a deadly weak weakness for women that proved to be the chink in his armor resulting in his downfall. He played the fool. He let Delilah Sweet Talk him into telling her the secret of his hair. And after it was cut, he was blinded and he was weak and he ground corn as a slave for the, for the Philistines, God's greatest enemies. You see, by his foolishness, foolishness, he told wisdom, I don't need your advice. I don't need your wisdom. Leave me alone. Let me do my own thing. And then in verses 31 through 33, we see the result. Look at verses 31 through 33. Therefore, okay, as a result of what, we just, what, what wisdom just said before this, therefore they, speaking of those who reject the wisdom of God, therefore they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be filled to the full with their own fancies. For the turning away of the simple will slay them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me, that is wisdom, will dwell safely and will be secure without fear of evil. Wisdom's plea here. Wisdom's crying out to man ends with a threefold exhortation where she explains the laws of reaping, sowing and rest. Notice verse 31. Therefore they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be filled to the full with their own fancies. In other words, this is th- verse 31 states the law of reaping. You will you will reap what you sow. For example, the Israelites suffered the consequences of not listening to the wisdom of the Mosaic law that said their land should be allowed a Sabbath rest. Remember, every one year out of every seven, they were not to, to, to grow crops, plant you know, and, and harvest crops. They were just to let the, the land lie. They suffered the consequences of not listening to that law that said their land should be allowed a Sabbath rest. One year for every seven was to be set aside to give the land rest. You know, that one year would would, would help the ground to, to uh, nourish itself and to get more nutrients and so that, you know, it would, it would grow even better crops next time around. They weren't to plow the land. They weren't to plant in the land. They weren't to reap from the land. They weren't to glean from the land. They were to give the land a rest, which was a good agricultural law. And then the Lord involved himself in the provision for a Sabbath rest. And he connected his name to the command. God promised that the harvest of the previous years would provide more than enough bread for that Sabbath year. In other words, he said, you you let that one year, don't plant anything, don't grow anything. He says, those years before that, he says, I will provide enough for you to, to be sustained for that year that you don't grow anything. God says, I'll take care of you for that one year that you aren't to grow anything. And you're let the land rest. You know, the, the, the six years before, you'll have more than enough to take care of you that year that you don't grow anything. So no one would need to plant. They wouldn't need to work hard for a whole year. The people could give their full attention to spiritual truth during that one year. And during that one year, the Lord could be, the first, could be first in their, all of their thoughts. For one whole year in every seven, the land could rest and the people could rest. But the Israelites thought, man, you know what? They thought they knew better than God. They became greedy. They hated to think of the money that they could make if they would go ahead and, and, and plant in that one year. They thought, man, this seems like a foolish, this seems like a foolish law. You know, think of, of the money we could make by, by planting and, and, and reaping that, that year. As for devoting the year to the Lord, nothing could have been further from their thoughts. And from the very beginning, they ignored God's commandment. But the commandment, though, it came with a warning. God said if the command was neglected, God would make the land unproductive and its people would be scattered. Listen to the warning. It's clear. It's clear as could be. Leviticus 26, 34. Then at last the land will enjoy its neglected Sabbath years as it lies desolate while you are in exile in the land of your enemies. And then the land will finally rest and enjoy the Sabbaths it missed. In order to enjoy that hey man, I'll, I'll cash you out. You'll be in exile. You'll be in the land of your enemies. Then the land will finally get its rest. That is missed. And the years went by, and God watched the foolishness of his people as they ignored everything that he said. He sent droughts. He sent famines to remind the Israelites of what he said, of his law. But they still ignored him. Finally, he sent the Assyrians and the Babylonians to fulfill his word. And years later, a scribe recorded not only the captivity, but its purpose in 2 Chronicles 36, 21. So the message of the Lord spoken through Jeremiah was fulfilled. The land finally enjoyed its Sabbath rest, lying desolate until notice until the 70 years were fulfilled. Just as the prophet had said for every year that they did not allow that land to, to lie barren. They were in captivity. A a, a year of captivity for every year that they didn't let the land lie unplanted. You see, the law of reaping is not to be ignored. You will sow what you reap. We cannot ignore the wisdom of God without paying the price for it. God's word is the expression of the highest wisdom, it can't be set aside, it can't be ignored even though men in their foolishness seem to think that they can. Notice verse 32 states the matching law of reaping. Verse 32, For the turning away of the simple will slay them, and the complacency of of fools will destroy them. In other words, the simple here, again, it it means the gullible. It means gullible. The word fools here refers to the, to the dense or stupid, especially the sinful. That is, those who ignore wisdom will eventually find themselves in big trouble. The gullible person goes their merry way. They even, you know, march right into situations that could kill them. These are the kind of people that get hooked on drugs and alcohol and fool around with forbidden sex and stumble into areas where the enemy just waits for them. And they don't know it. The stupid man sometimes gets rich, but it ruins him. When the prodigal son got his portion of the family inheritance, you know, he spent his inheritance like it was nothing. That money just, you know, ran through his you know, just fell through his fingers like, like water. Luke says that he wasted his possessions with prodigal living, wasteful living. And then when he spent his last penny... All of those good buddies that he was partying with, his fair-weather friends, they took off. He ran out of money, and they were gone. And then he he was starving. He faced starvation. Total misery in a cold and heartless land that was far away from home. But thankfully, the third law shows us that there can be a happy ending. Notice verse 33. But, notice, but whoever listens to me will dwell safely and will be secure without fear of evil. This states the law of rest. Now Noah lived in a time of corruption and lewdness. A world full of knowledge, but totally without wisdom. And Noah proved the law of rest to be true. Not only did Noah dwell in safety or dwell dwell safely in that corrupt and violent culture, he also preached righteousness to his generation. And besides all that, as he worked on the ark, he built built a reminder. That ark was a, a reminder of the coming judgment. Hebrews tells us that he was moved with fear, yet he worked by faith. Again, the fear of the Lord was truly the beginning of wisdom. To Noah's neighbors, he must have looked like a nut, a total fool. But when the rain started to fall, it was only Noah and his family who had a place of refuge. They're the only ones who had a place to go and to be safe. Inside the ark, they were able to dwell safely picture of Jesus Christ. He's our refuge. He's our ark. Even when the waters covered the earth and the storm broke loose, all the people drowned in the flood. But those inside the ark rested in perfect peace and safety. And that's where we will find our perfect peace and safety in Jesus Christ. And it was all because Noah and his family listened to the wisdom of God as wisdom called out to build the ark Noah build the ark and I'm sure it had to have a a powerful effect on him what what's an ark how am I going to do this you know there's no water around here you know and, and you could just imagine all the questions and then I'm sure his family got all over him dad are you nuts What are you doing? God told me. God said to do this. And he did it by faith. And as the Bible says, God's word will always come to pass. And so we are to listen to the wisdom of God that we have in the word of God. It's God's word, it's God's wisdom. To choose it, we'll dwell safely. But to reject it, man will be distressed, We will be destroyed, ruined. Again, it's, it's a matter of choice. You can, you can make your choice. You can choose your choice, but you can't choose the outcome. That's where we need to listen to God. Father, we thank you once again for your word. Father, we thank you for the wisdom of God. The wisdom that we find in your word, Lord. And God, help us to believe it with all of our heart, God. Whatever God tells us, regardless of how difficult it may be to understand God. Lord, just as Joshua was told to prepare to cross the Jordan... Father, it was a river that was at, at a flood stage, Lord. It was powerful and flooding over. I'm sure Joshua had no idea how to do that. I'm sure that he didn't have any boat builders in his flock. And didn't know what, how, how to get across. And yet God said, "Prepare to cross the Jordan." And so he did. He got the people together and he told them, "We're crossing the Jordan." And I'm sure there were plenty of people that murmured and complained, and you know, how are we going to do this? But Joshua didn't question the word of the Lord. And sure enough, when God said, "Go," and they stepped into the river it parted and they got across so lord help us to remember that god's word does not does not fail he keeps his word he keeps his promises to us so lord may we constantly keep that in mind so lord we thank you for your word we thank you for your love we thank you for your faithfulness god when we are so many times unfaithful god or of little faith. So, Father, bless your people as they go their way. Watch over them through the week, Lord. Keep them safe. Keep them healthy, God. And, Lord, we look forward to coming back next Wednesday and to to see where you're going to take us, Lord, as we journey through your word, God, as we continue our pilgrimage to the glory land. So we thank you, Father. We just praise you. We give you honor and glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, again, a quick reminder uh, that the children's ministry starts.